Hello. Hello there, and welcome. Welcome to the third episode of Beef Station. <laughs> We're up and running. I'm Andrew. I'm Oscar. And today, we're going to be talking about uh, two films, Chappaquiddick and John Wick. <laughs> John Wick. John Wick. <clears throat> gotcha. Maybe... You thought we were talking about John Wick. What's that? <laughs> it's John Wick. That other famous American action film. And uh, maybe some of, the, some of the themes that these two films might share. No, no. Um, I want to discuss but... absolutely none of the themes. But I think uh, hopefully stuff that's a lot more interesting than that. I think point. one of the interesting things about when you look at like films that are based on historical events or based on a true story of some kind is that <laughs> often I don't know anything about history. And so I benefit from my ignorance because I'm like... Kennedy, you say? What's gonna happen? Sounds like one lucky son of a gun to yeah. me. Um, and so what it is, it's set in, what, I think 1968 or 1969. Which year was that? It again? is 1969 because of the moon landing. Which yeah. year? 1969. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and so it focuses on Ted Kennedy, who is one of the four Kennedy brothers, Um who is at the time of the film a senator and it focuses on this scandal that's apparently well known but because I don't know I'm a freaking idiot I'd never heard of it before we're whereby we're very young <laughs> yeah well, whereby in the, in the late 60s he was at some party and it had a few drinks on an island named Chappaquiddick I believe oh yeah that's yeah <laughs> I watched, so, a, I so watched he, a special making so, of and uh, so he's special at this, making of called the Atlas. The Atlas. <laughs> he's at this um, speaking of called the Holy Bible. Um, <laughs> he's at this party on the, um, the island Chappaquiddick, and he sort of drives drunk in this car and drives it off a bridge. And the woman that's in the car with him at the time dies and drowns in the river that they sort of land in. Um, and because he's a senator at the time and he's part of this famous Kennedy family, it's this huge scandal that sort of threatens to destroy his political career. And so most of the film isn't about the accident as much as it is about his efforts to cover it up and his allies and political strategy. I think that's really one of the key ideas in this film, isn't it? Because I think what's what's interesting, you know, the the film sort of uh, it takes place over like a few days or a week or something. It, yeah, like it's that. like it's less a than short a week. So I remember because I thought something that was really cool about it was that the time that happens, <laughs> the, the the time that happens, the time in the that film, happens during the course <laughs> of the film, <laughs> the, the, the um the time span that elapses during the film is roughly the amount of time that's elapsing as the Apollo Eleven moon landing. Oh is yeah, happening. I'll, yeah, and I'll that talk is a like on that later. That is yeah, so cool. And so it's really interesting because it's this shadow that sort of casts over the whole story as it yeah. goes along. And a lot of the theme of the movie I found was Ted Kennedy. Of course, who his brother was John F. Kennedy. He's had these other famous so there are brothers. Four who had, Kennedy brothers, well, and this one is the youngest one. And they'd all died by now. This is well, this. Not all of them. <laughs> Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy is alive in this movie, folks. The protagonist of this film is alive. Just, just to be clear, I, I didn't mean. Hey, in, look, they're all died. They've all died, inclusive saying, of Ted Kennedy. I'm just saying that they're not all dead. Anyway, continue with the right, yes, all right. Um, so they've all... Um, now that we've gotten the truth out. All of his brothers have died, and of course he's living with this tremendous weight on his shoulders, John F. Kennedy being one of the most, I imagine, beloved presidents of the time. Yeah, and he, probably pretty heavy to carry on the shoulders. <laughs> um, Along eight, with two Eight other grams brothers. lighter, though, because his soul is oh. escaped. <laughs> 
Um, um, and so um interesting that on this podcast we revealed that a human soul is eight grams no it's eight grams carry on um and so yeah so there's there's this legacy of his brothers and his family that he's constantly feeling like he has to live up to i think numerous times throughout the film people are sort of saying like oh you want to be president don't you and he's sort of isn't really clear whether he wants to be, but he sort of yeah. feels like he has to. And so what we were saying about the moon landing is that's, of course, his brother as president, his, his brother's crowning achievement. Yeah. And it was his brother's as his president. I, I think the Kennedy presidency will forever be associated with the moon landing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even though he'd already died by the time it had happened, it was like one of the things that he'd announced that he, he wanted to do for America and do for the world. And so the whole time throughout this story that tells one of Ted Kennedy's biggest mistakes in his entire life, probably, um, it cuts through with like his brother's triumph. And so there's constant cut cutaways. And, and, and just to... a, a, a legacy that unlike most legacies will not fade with time. That will yeah. always be the first time that a human sort of stepped onto another celestial body. It's, well, that's what it's I, pretty amazing. That's what I think is interesting about this film is that it's, it also tells the story of the first time that a human has ever driven drunk. Um, <laughs> uh, nice. um, it constantly cuts between radio broadcasts and television broadcasts. Well, yeah. And actually, can I just say, I fucking love a good white guys in suits in a room <laughs> clearing a mess up. In a, in a movie or? No. Right. <laughs> I love it. And when it's broadcast on a screen, I love it even more. So, but okay. The, the, the classic one that I think of is, is the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. yeah where yeah, he yeah. shows up, like you just call this guy and he fixes your problems. <laughs> that I think that that character, and it's not a new character, but it's really, it's, it's, it's always an entertaining one to watch where these, these, um, these people actually, there's one in John Wick yeah! too. Um, Tying it together. Yeah, We're real sizzle pros here at the station. The there's a bit of sizzling beef for you kids oh get that get that beef seared um <laughs> so i really love that idea of like having a person or a group that you can just call and they just fix your problems and so this this one has one and it's this doesn't really have anything to do with the movie does it buddy <laughs> yeah it's you right. all good i, just, I, I need you yeah, just want I a personal group with, to fix your, your problems just love when someone someone swoops in and really helps a guy out when when maybe he's he's made a mistake and accidentally <laughs> killed somebody. Um, so on the way home from Chappaquiddick, I uh, <laughs> I drove up Commonwealth Avenue Bridge. So we haven't actually talked about what happens. So okay, um, the standard. There... I don't think we need to do that. People don't need context or information. <laughs> Fuck that. Just watch know the that... film and psychically figure out what we mean. Just know that we liked it. Get off our asses. Yeah. Fuck off. Right. Go watch a different Jason Clark <laughs> film if you want so, information. Um, so Ted Kennedy drives off the bridge and then he sort of gets out of the car and freaks yeah. out and yeah. has this sort of, I don't know, this moment where he forgets about the girl and he yeah. sort of just runs. And by the time he realizes that maybe the girl's dead, he's fucked. And so he runs back to the party. That girl, by the way, is a highly sought after actress, K Mara. <laughs> who they spends kill with it like all eight minutes. Of about 14 seconds on screen. <laughs> yeah. And she's great in that yeah. 14 seconds. That's got to be a name they stuff in there to try and get people in the movie theater. Well, no, I think they did a really good job because there's this scene on the beach where she's lounging around talking about her career plans. Being and, sexy. Um, it kind of seems like maybe they're setting her up as some kind of love interest for oh, yeah. Ted. I don't know if this is just two guys who are like, obviously everyone's supposed to know she's going to die. But for me, I had no idea. And so I was looking at this one being like, oh, right. So they're setting up all this intrigue and all this interesting right. emotional ties that we're going to have to this character. And she suddenly dies. I'm like, oh. I knew that he drove the car off the bridge. And as soon as I saw her get in the car with him, I was like, right, she dies. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was just like, she's fucking doomed. He's obviously not. <laughs> 
that's the incident. I didn't know yeah. anything else about it, but it was definitely... And I think, obviously, it, it foreshadowed quite well. Yeah. Um, and so she, so he then goes back to the party and says to his mates who are still at this party, like, hey, we got a situation, you need to fucking help me. And his buddies are, like, high up in the political echelons of this thing as well. Yeah, and so they, they're sort of taking a risk by helping him out. Yeah. And they sort of dive down to try and open the door and find his body, and they can't. And yeah, so, one of those... Uh, so th- those two people, by the way, being played Jim by... Jim Gaffigan? Jim Gaffigan uh, and Ed Helms. Ed Helms, you probably know from The Hangover. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, because you said, like, you like the sort of tough, fix-it guy in a suit that comes in and fixes everything, whereas you've got doughy Jim Gaffigan in board shorts that dives down and is like, I can't open the no, door! Those, yeah, those aren't the guys <laughs> that I'm talking about. So oh, I thought uh, I was. No, no, you were no. like, I'll have a cool, smooth operation. No, Man, did you see the fuck. movie? <laughs> no, Girl fucking died. Those are like, I, I thought that was really good because those are his friends and 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 um, but Ed Ed Helms being wouldn't help him move the body, would they? Some Ed, yeah, friends there right. couldn't open a car door. What kind of friend can't open a car door under six feet of water? None of mine, apparently. No. Ed Helms is is sort of the one. He's the the moral compass of the the, the film. I, I think. Mm. No, those aren't the guys that I'm talking about. I, I thought one of the most enjoyable and funny scenes in it was when he calls on Kennedy Sr. for help, and Kennedy Sr. ends up, like, assembling the men. Yeah. And they're just white guys in suits mm. who know how to get a lot of shit done. And this this ties into one of the key themes of the film, I think, as well, because, of course, they sort of treat him like a dumb kid. They treat Ted oh, yeah, like a dumb kid. Oh, yeah, he's not respected by these men at all. And his father is kind of tied to a wheelchair. He can barely speak. Yeah, he's, he's got I some sort of degenerative illness. I don't illness. know the history of the senior Kennedy, the Kennedy father, but he must have had a, <laughs> a stroke or something. He's yeah, he's got some sort of degenerative illness. He can barely speak. So Ted calls him up on the phone and he can barely even sort of dish out his advice. He manages to say one word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but then it's interesting how all these lawyers and this sort of, this sort of crew of, oh, the cleanup guys, right. Okay. So That's this, what I meant. Yeah, yeah okay. So this, yeah. this crew of pros sort of is calling him to Mr. Kennedy, Mr. Kennedy, Mr. Yeah. Kennedy, and then it's like, oh, Ted, you fucked up. Yeah. Uh, and they really like that. They don't really respect him at all. And yeah. there's this idea of family legacy and yeah. respect that goes throughout the whole film as well. That Ted sort of feels like he has to live up to. Yeah. And it certainly helps that by showing that, like, oh, even when he's like 40 and he's a senator, he still needs his dad to come by and help him pick up the pieces. Yeah. And and, and something that we were talking about earlier, the moon landing is a motif that's present throughout the early stages of this of this film. Yeah. And yeah, it is really interesting because occasionally they will pair footage of Ted going about this process where he's clearly made a huge, stupid, unnecessary error. And what they'll do is they'll juxtapose the radio commentary of the moon landing yeah. over the top of that. So what you get is you get the audio of his brother's unparalleled success and legacy. And it could almost be diegetic. Like he had, he's constantly having to listen Listening to it. Listening to it. And, and they literally watch television. Yeah footage of that thing there's this frantic day where they're all trying to constantly like call everyone they possibly can yeah. to start and, helping and, to cover up this thing and, and then in the afternoon like the, the, such ineptitude like his fucking license expiring like he's got he's driving yeah. and he was drunk driving and they're like right well do you have a valid license and he was like uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, so they've so, got to watch this shit. So there's all this nonsense they have to deal with and all this crap and it's urgently all day. And then in the evening, they all sit back and relax and watch the moon landing. And it's really... And oh, watch his brother's success. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I really thought that, I mean... Very good. Yeah. So, so you, you have this idea of legacy that goes throughout the whole film. I thought the guy that played Ted was really good. He's actually an Australian actor. Oh, really? He's, um, yeah, yeah. He's, um, he was in name. Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, Jason Clark. Jason yeah, Clark. Yeah, Jason yeah. Clark. Um, and he was great. Was he in and... Arrival as well recently, I think? Oh, maybe, yeah. Um, uh, I know he was in Everest.
Forest um, and Zero Dark Thirty, but that's all I got. Fun fact: but he was he was not in Arrival. <laughs> well, there you go. Thanks. So there you go. Clear that up. Carry on. Thanks for keeping me up. Yeah, there. you're welcome. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that I thought his performance in Arrival was really good as well. That... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I bet you glad I saved you from that one. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I thought uh, one thing that was really good and actually kind of an underrated piece. Not underrated, no one's rating anything. Um, but a really difficult bit that he would have had to, to get right was the accent. Because the Kennedys, by reputation, had a very strange American accent. I think it's like a Boston they, accent. It is, but its, yeah. I remember, uh, maybe it was JFK's wife, I think I remember hearing her, or a bit about her on, on television, and they said, like, she had a totally normal Boston accent, that was but then in, she did the weird thing with her A's. That was Natalie where, Portman in the Jackie O movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they all do it. It's really funny. Yeah. Like, they sort of say, instead of saying can, like, you would expect a Boston, flawless Boston accent to <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, they, that's how I imagine it in my head when someone says yeah. Boston accent. Uh, instead of saying that, they say, like, car. It's quite, it's actually, <laughs> it's actually very British. It's very weird. And the first time you see Jason Clark doing it on screen, you think, wow, he fucked that one up. But no, that's actually, it's very, he's he's yeah. clearly done his research. That's quite accurate. I mean, I, again, I really liked that. not knowing any of this story, I was just prepared to believe it. Like, it's so bizarre <laughs> and there's so much commitment to it. I'm like, right, well, no one would commit that hard unless they were right. No, so they I'm do just going to assume that he's some right. Some fucking accents, especially when it's like an, uh, an Australian playing an American or an American playing a British person, though, like, as we'll go on to talk about in John Wick, <laughs> a British person and a Swedish person playing Russians. Yeah. Sometimes they're horrible, yeah, but no, these got, ones, yeah. accents, spot on. Yeah. I thought the film was great. Another thing that uh, struck me about the film, and any period film like this, like it gets me in Mad Men as well, is you watch these films and you have all these beautiful old cars. Like they populate the frame with all yeah. these old Buicks and Chevys and Fords yep. and yep. all sorts of shit. And I'm like, man, there must be a warehouse out there somewhere full of all these perfect, pristine, yep. old 1950s and yep. 1960s cars. <laughs> cars <laughs> you got me from before um, oh he's 1960s cars we don't want any cars we want cars <laughs> i would i would kill for one of those cars and they clearly have like a hundred of them yeah. oh yeah but no that's a different one. yeah have you got anything else on chappaquiddick uh, number one uh for those of you who are who are listening to this and have heard the miffed first episode where we speak about a lost episode a lost app where we speak about the death of stalin this is yet another film about historical figures that we don't know anything about. Don't know anything about. And didn't bother to research. Yeah, no, um, not at all. And, and don't know anything about. So like, I, We landed on the moon? Yeah. I, I too wonder whether or not uh, this film would have been changed as a, as a viewer by um, sort of being aware of what that was like to live by through. By any background knowledge at all. Any context. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Nah. No, I just had a couple of points. Uh, I thought that the bits I really enjoyed were, I thought the phone call that he has with his father, where he talks about how he's the brother that gets to make his own choice and how he's, he sort of laundry lists what his other brothers are well known for and respected for and how they define themselves. And he really, honestly, Jason Clark carries the scene and it's just, a, I thought it was a very powerful bit. Yeah. So I really liked that. Yeah. Um, I, on the whole, a really decent, not decent, really great documentative fiction political film. Yeah, no, I thought it was. I thought it was great. I it was great. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I had nine fantastic Chappaquiddick pun names. <laughs> I had them as well, and I, I was, got to use none of them. I was ready for Chappaquidditch, Chappy Quick Stick, Chappa Kick Flip, 
Oh, man. <laughs> Chapa Carrot Chapa Stick? Flip is fucking great. <laughs> yeah, no, I had Shipper Squid Ink. Shipper Squid Ink! <laughs> Potter Quidditch. Potter. Uh, and a pack of chicken chips. Were... <laughs> oh, this is where we find out it's like a native Indian Oh, word. it definitely is. Yeah. Also, uh, one, All right. one, one small Chapa for man, one giant Quidditch for man. <laughs> That's my last one. It makes me feel bad settling my fucking chapper kickflip. So John Wick um, (laughs) isn't a film that I'd seen before, but you encourage me. Just to be clear, listeners, I have seen it now. John Wick, not a film I've watched. Let's talk about it. Half an hour. Let's go. Tell me about John Wick. What happens? Who is it? <laughs> I'm sure you're looking at the runtime. You've got a little iPod there right now. thinking, what could these guys possibly talk about for the next half an hour if they haven't seen it? Oh, Don't worry. We have seen way it. Way more shit than you want us to talk about. <laughs> so, um, I haven't seen it, but you encouraged me to watch it. I'm That's glad great. you did. And I think... The less you know about this film, the better. So <laughs> strap in, everyone. If you haven't seen it yet, seriously, this because no one gives a fuck about Chappaquiddick. Yeah. But if you haven't seen John Wick, it's on Netflix. Go and watch it right now. Pause this. Go watch it. It's great. Welcome back. Wasn't that great? great. Oh, man. The bit with the car and the guns and the... The bit where Keanu Reeves killed one guy. Yeah. So (laughs) excellent. So it opens with this sort of lonely mansion kind of house and Keanu is sort of sitting there. Uh, It doesn't open with that. Moping around. So it opens with this lonely mansion (laughs) house and Keanu is sitting around. So it's framed by John Wick crashing a car and then passing out while watching a video of his wife. I have no memory of that. Which is incredibly important. Uh, And I think that the fact that you have no memory of that is very telling of what this (laughs) film is actually like to watch. Yeah, right. And so... The first actual... As I was saying... The first actual bit where you find out about the story is what you... Yeah, so the first first sort of five to ten minutes of the film is sort of setting up this relationship that Keanu once had with his now, you find out, dead wife. And it sort of shows him moping around his big house being all and sad, being like, all sad yeah, and lonely. No, and yeah. so within the first few minutes, I noticed I noticed what they were doing with the camera shots. I was like, "Oh, cool!" And then immediately hated it. I don't know if you remember, but they fuck with the white balance a lot. So there's lots of shots it's of very key- blue. Oh my god, so blue! It's very blue, just like Keanu. And so it's there's blue. lots of it's blue. It makes sense. It's thematically consistent. So you, you see, like it's kind of this cool shade of blue, and it's him wandering through his house, and you're like, "Oh, cool, yeah." So it's like you know, it's sort of painting this depressed picture of his life and then it cuts back to memories of him with that his wife. That was actually just when she cold was... footage of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> he was freezing. Every day. Um, but then it cuts back to like memories of him with his wife and it's got a really yellow warm tint yeah. to it. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. Now I see what you're doing. But then they kept doing it and it, oh, it, it really like, I get it. me It's so emotional quickly. warmth. I get it. Yeah. I so, get it. And so, but, so then eventually it cut to like normal human white balance and you're like, great. And then there was that bit on the airfield when he's sort of driving his car around for like five minutes and suddenly oh, yeah. that's got this it's weird very thing. yellow. Yeah. And so there was just fucking, oh, it really annoyed me. Immediately I went from like, oh, great. To like, oh, fuck you. But something I did like about that opening scene was it was clearly necessary for them to set up this relationship he had with his wife and then sort of move on because yeah. that's not really the, the feature of the and film. I, I thought, and I thought given, that was well done. I think given the amount of time that you actually get to form 
form a connection with this man's connection with his yeah. wife. I thought it did pretty well. No, I thought it was great. And, and, and I think... the dog coming in yeah. and being that emotional lightning rod, that's a shitty metaphor. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's um... like a focus in his grief. Yeah. yeah exactly. I actually, so I was watching a video right before we started this, um, and they were kind all of right, talking man. about We've the making of... <laughs> and they were showing you how to make carbonara, but with no cream. <laughs> You know that? You don't need cream in a real carbonara. It's all just egg and cheese. It's just use egg. Uh, <laughs> so I was watching this video about them, them kind of talking about the making of, and they kind of addressed that by saying that they tried to get the setting as much as possible to help do some of the heavy lifting in sort of explaining how important this relationship was to him. And so, for example, they said they really tried to find a big house kind of in the middle of nowhere so that it showed how isolated they were and right. how important they were to each other and about yeah. how, like, they just have each other and there's nothing else around and it's this yeah. big, lovely house that you'd love to share with someone. But and so when she's one person. So when she's gone, it suddenly feels weird and cold. And Yeah, that's very fucking cool. Which is really cool. Yeah. And they, um, they were talking about how the house used to be like an art gallery or something and so yeah. it deliberately has all these windows in weird places that cast light in unusual ways right. um, I, don't, I don't have any analysis for that I just thought it was cool well, I think it's yeah yeah and so if you didn't find that interesting you're a fucking moron <laughs> yeah but no, so I, I thought that whole setup was done quickly I yeah, thought it was great. done efficiently yeah. and it was done nicely really? and, and, and for because let's be honest John Wick is like a hard action yeah. movie a lot of action movies don't even fucking try to have yeah. that sort of like level of emotional depth. And John Wick as a story needs to, yeah. because that's the entire motivation for his character. And so I was watching it I'm and sorry, thinking it's got a bit of a... something to do with that? I was just going to say that it, the emotion's the entire motivation for his character. <laughs> no, um, I was... It's, it's like, sorry, did I say it? I was like, no, no, it's how a conversation works. What you said reminded me of something <laughs> I want to talk about. You're welcome. About, yeah, thank you, thank you. It kind of gave me this sort of James Bond kind of feel, and I love how the film starts with this pre established legacy and mythos around John Wick, the character oh, that yeah. we, we, have, we know nothing about. And so, for the first sort of 20 minutes to half an hour of the film, you don't learn anything about John Wick, and you proceed to learn everything about every other character. Well, you know about you, the Russians. What you and, do learn. Sorry. So you know about the Russians and how that guy is that guy's son and how the relationship yeah. they have here and here and Keanu is just sort of brooding and sort of moving along. Yeah. And you're like, man, who is this guy? And then, then the more... Because all you hear is his name. Exactly. You hear his name repeated yeah. so, and so often. And it starts to set up this this amazing underworld and this sort of... The world building of this is really cool. Really they sort of good. have this really sort of strictly defined set of rules that govern this sort of culture of assassins and they have their own gold coin currency and the set of rules isn't cliched bullshit where everybody follows it because mm. like you almost as soon as the rules are established it's a defining point in the movie that someone breaks the rules yeah and like, this i think it's good because it conveys this air of mystery and so the whole time the first half an hour like if i hadn't known that john wick was a hitman the first half an hour you'd be like who the fuck is this guy yeah i have no idea what's going on the first time you actually know what his deal is is when when uh, alfie allen steals the car and his dad is like, what the fuck did well, you just even do? Then, there's a lot of screen time between Alan stealing the car and the dad. Because the first, the first inkling you get is the, um, the, uh, what do you, the person who works on cars. Mechanic. <laughs> you can remember either, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> the mechanic, because he, he punches him when he realizes that it's John Wick's yeah, car. His is, reason for, like, shitting on this gangster's son 
is that it's like, you fucking stole John Wick's car, you idiot. Yeah. But you have no idea. And so the first no. time is like when the father is saying to his son, like, you're fucked. You're yeah, basically it's, dead. It doesn't, it, like, yeah. This guy is the boogie, the boogeyman. Yeah. He's not yeah. even the boogeyman. He's the guy you send to kill the boogeyman. Yeah. Oh, that was such a cool, cool. scene. Yeah, it was um, cool. And then, so there's this whole, it introduces it, this whole mysterious underworld of assassins and hitmen and all this, the hotel and all these cool little gold coins being exchanged and all these little rules. And no matter where you go, the whole time you're following John Wick through this world, they're all like, oh, it's John Wick. Hey, John, good to see you. Mm. John, how's it going? And so we have no idea what's going on, but everyone knows John Wick. And, it, it, and it's a huge focus of the film. It's sort of his reputation and his kind of legacy in this world in the same way as legacy played a big role in Chappaquiddick. Well, I think it, it's it's really interesting because obviously you're, you're totally right that, that legacy plays a, a huge role and, and like name plays a huge role yeah. in both of these films. But I, I would say it's almost the opposite uh, and, they, and they almost sort of inverse, they're, they're the inverse of each other because in Chappaquiddick, you have this character who is desperate to live up to the reputation that he has based on what other people in his family have done. Whereas in John Wick, it's, it's someone who is absolutely equally desperate to escape their reputation and yeah. to get away from it, but sort of can't. Yeah. And, and it's almost unfair that they're dragged back to be John Wick again. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting seeing like, yeah, these two films deal with that idea of the repute that someone can carry just based on their name alone. Yeah. Well, um, and I, I thought that it was great to have Keanu Reeves back in an action movie again. Yeah. And it was fucking cool to see him like, like it's totally worth it. You get half an hour of build up of like John Wick, John Wick, John Wick. And oh, then and it's just half an hour so in, suspenseful. When the action starts, he doesn't make a single mistake. There yeah. are like 15 dudes that break into his house and he kills all of them as yeah. efficiently as he possibly can. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, and I don't know whether this is me picking up on nothing, but he seemed to sort of get sloppier as the film went on. So, like, when the, when the, he has okay. that home invasion and the people break into his house for the first time and he kills all of them perfectly. So that's the first time you see John Wick do, doing act anything. violently on yeah. screen. And then the next time you saw, the next big set piece is kind of that bathhouse scene. There's some stuff in the middle. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There's yeah, that the bathhouse yeah. scene where he's chasing down circle. Alfie Allen, and he kind of misses a couple times and kind of. It's messier. Gets he gets yeah. he gets thrown off a balcony and gets shot. I feel like part of that is reflective of how like when the first time it's in his home, he knows they're coming. He has yeah. time to prepare. So like he fucking turns the lights off yeah. before they get there. Yeah. And just waits for them in the dark. So cool. That, yeah, I didn't but, even notice that. Yeah, he turns the lights off. Like who the <laughs> fuck knows they're gonna have their home invaded and turns the lights off? off <laughs> so cool but then the next one he's going into so the first one is like them penetrating his environment and then the next one is yeah him going to them uh, invading their territory um which is sort of the opposite and i maybe that's why they chose to make it a little messier and a little grittier and sloppier yeah well like it kind of seemed like the whole film was taking place over the course of like one 24 Shitty to 48 hours. Yeah, and so I sort of really... I'd be happy to believe that it was just him getting constantly worn down, but still, like, oh, yeah, no matter where he goes, they're fucked. That's because you and haven't I, seen the, the second one, right? No, I haven't seen the yeah, second one. It's, yet, it's similar in the second one, where he starts off kind yeah. of okay, and by the end of the film, you're just like, oh, this and, guy. <laughs> and so I really liked how... I thought the film 
interestingly sort of set up an emotional connection we have with Alfie Allen and the Russians a bit because mm. like we sort of don't learn anything about John Wick and everything we learn about John Wick you learn through other people which yeah. is an interesting sort of framing device yeah, to learn definitely. about this guy and sort of our opinion of him is shaped by his reputation I think it's interesting that because harking back to what we were talking about earlier where the start of the film isn't him in his house it's actually him crashing into a retaining wall in a car and then watching he falls out of his car he's clearly absolutely fucked he's bleeding all over the place his what the last thing that he does he is watches to a video of some watch woman a video YouTube, of some right? woman yeah so <laughs> just he just put woman into google and then watches the first video that comes up uh, and it happens to be it happens to be a video of his wife and is yeah he watches a video of his wife um, and it's quite intimate, and then and then we sort of see him like close his eyes, and it's not an intimate video. <laughs> Watch, he looks at nudes of his sitting wife, there looking up his wife, and he's like, "Great, I can die with a boner," which is really what we all aspire to. So he's yeah, he sort of like slumps, and and it's clear that the last thing that he wanted in this cold, rainy, gravelly environment is just to 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 experience the the warmth of that human presence once one last time, and then. And then, and but then the next thing that really so I I, th I feel like that characterizes him quite a bit because the next thing that we get is this ambiguous name of John Wick that's yeah. just repeated off over and over and over again. So we sort of we get this little taste at the start of the film yeah. about the fact that he does have this like deep motivation. Yeah, and then he's like a James Bond that's fueled purely by anger. Yeah, and I so think you, anger you, is key, in and this. so you get yeah. this the whole way through the film, which is what I was talking about, right? Yeah. And so, it's, so you yeah, sort of, welcome. you sort of, yeah, thanks. So you sort of um, form an emotional bond almost with the enemy a bit, because like right. Alfie Allen is like, "What? I just stole a car," and his father's like, "No, no, let me just explain how." fucked you are yeah and then the whole way through the film you're kind of rooting for john but you're just like looking at the villain like oh you're so screwed yeah you're so definitely. screwed and so john is getting more and more worn down he's getting sloppier and sloppier but it doesn't matter because they're fucked anyway yeah and it's like it doesn't matter how fucked up this guy gets mm. he's still gonna do what he needs yeah. to do which reminds me so you get willem dafoe which oh, yeah. at the start you're not really sure what what's up with him that and last of, name by the way means the enemy which is which is what I have written here. <laughs> Which is what I was leading to. I was like, Will, Willem Dafoe, interestingly, probably often typecast as Dafoe, but he turns out to be the ally in this film. It's much oh. better than what I said. I'm really yeah. sorry about that. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> the Green Goblin's in this film. <laughs> He's not a baddie. Uh, no hoverboards either. Lame. Pumpkin bombs are plenty, though. <laughs> <laughs> Pumpkin fuckers. And so, so one thing, here's the thing. So we started to talk, talk about the sort of what we would do differently. And as soon as these, like, Russian dudes pop up at the gas station Swedish right near the start British. of the movie, yeah. you're like, oh, come on. Do yeah. we need Russian dudes being the bad do guys? to be Russian? Yeah. It's such an old-ass 60s trope yeah. to have these fucking... Yeah, no, I just... I just thought it was a bit of a boring kind so of here choice. We go. What would we do differently? No Russians. <laughs> no bad guys. Fuck okay. <laughs> Let John Wick have his sweet ass Mustang and his a, cute little beagle he goes to a and dog his, show and his big and house. He wins. Yeah. He wins the dog show. You know what? And that's John Wick. I don't want his wife to even die. Yeah. Let's yeah. just make it like. Um, <laughs> that's right. Let's get rid of cancer. That's what I would have done differently. Let's make it like that. That. Uh, <laughs> that um. What's what's the the bloke that had the the, the Bruce Willis prosthesis? 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Let's make it like that Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie, 50-50. It's a 50-50. Keanu has to shave his hair off. The wife doesn't have cancer. Keanu has cancer. And then to make him feel better, she gets him a Beagle and a Ford Mustang, and he cruises around the airfield, and that's the and movie. And he doesn't need chemo because he's so happy. It's cured. Yeah. Perfect. Who needs... We've just written the perfect screenplay. Get Keanu on the phone. Um, no, I think it, uh, one one parallel that I found really interesting through this film was the idea that like it's what you were talking about earlier about how the father very early on realizes that the son is fucked. Yeah. So you realize that your you, you know your your kid's gonna die. Why doesn't he just tie him up in a field and like leave him there? Oh no, because he's still no, his father. That's it. That's, that's the yeah. point. So what's really interesting is that um, Vigo, who is uh, acted by a Swedish actor Michael Nyquist, <laughs> every who, episode is going to be Andrew saying, "Who is that guy?" Me and being like, like, "Fuck it, who cares?" Fuck it, and and then, then me just like clicking on the computer for several seconds, looking it like, up. Fuck. Um, my, Michael. If only there was some way that we could prevent that delay happening in every episode of the you know future. How we could re- it was on my screen. The screen turned off. The screen there fucked There needs to be me. some sort of internationally accessible database of movies <laughs> that has all the information we need. And we could just killer idea then. We could just read it ahead of time. And then we wouldn't have to worry about the names of the people because we would know them. Okay, so the, Vigo, Vigo, who's acted by Michael Nyquist, who's now dead from lung cancer. What? Yeah, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> He knows. Gotcha! (laughs) You fell for my lung cancer joke. So funny that it was lung cancer. Uh, Sorry about your loss. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Michael Nyquist. He he knows his son's going to die. And despite that, he still does everything that he possibly can to try and save him. He puts as many guards as he can. He He puts warrants out on John Wick. He tries to stop what's coming to kill him. John Wick is kind of doing the opposite thing where his wife is already dead. The dog is already dead. And he's going to do whatever he possibly can to kill the people responsible. Yeah. Even though it's sort of determined. I guess there's an element of determinism in, in, I mean, in both. Not much of an analysis of an action movie, is it? <laughs> like... No, I thought it was interesting because you're pairing this this character of of this father figure who knows that he's he's it's almost like one is one is experiencing post loss and the other one is experiencing pre loss because the father figure knows that is it's gonna he's fucked but he he sort of enacts anyway yeah whereas Wick knows that nothing can really be gained from revenge but he does it anyway he does it anyway it's like both characters know that nothing can be gained from their actions yeah but go through their actions anyway so no I thought I thought that was a really interesting thing seeing those seeing those opposites (laughs) Speaking of typical tropes, as soon as the dog pops up within like five minutes, I was, I was like, me. oh, this dog's going to die. Yeah. This dog is fucked. <laughs> I'm mad at myself, right? Because <laughs> I, I heard there's someone talking about animals in movies recently and they were like, I won't, I didn't watch Marley and Me because I knew that the dog was going to die. And then as soon as I saw the dog in John Wick, that the dog was going to die. I let myself forget about that <laughs> when I was watching John Wick and I thought the dog would be fine. Dude, I thought they really were going to be you, companions. It really sets you up because as soon as oh the dog jumps in the God. passenger seat of the car, you're like, oh, it's a buddy he's, cop He's movie. riding along. Yeah. Oh! And it's going to be it's gonna be a cop movie no. about a guy and his dog. Bugle is kicked to death got, within five minutes. Killed. Oh my oh, God. Man. I was, and I was honestly as hurt, if not more hurt, than John Wick. <laughs> Brutal. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, I thought, so you know how people sometimes say like in those old 
80s or 90s horror films, it's often the black guy that dies first. And it's, I <laughs> it's feel always like, the Russian guy. <laughs> so I feel like in modern movies like this, the dog character is just born to die. Any animal characters in yeah. movies. Yeah. <laughs> they just not, like... set up this dog, like, and they always trick you, they always get you, and then, <laughs> sure enough, five minutes in, you're oh, sobbing your heart out, nice and you're on John too. Wick's side. He's a mass murderer. Yeah. He's a psycho. Yeah. But they killed his dog. Yeah, they did. So something interesting that you were talking about earlier um, about how it was great to see sort of Keanu Reeves back in this role. Actually, I don't know if you knew this, but the director of this film was a stuntman in The Matrix. He was Keanu Reeves' stunt double, um, oh. which is real interesting because I think... But aren't we all Keanu Reeves in stunt The double? Matrix? <laughs> 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 yeah, we are. Wake up. So uh, yeah, the, so it, the director he's he's clearly had huge amounts of experience. Chad 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 has clearly had huge amounts You're of right. experience. No, <laughs> I'm all chatted out. He's had huge <laughs> amounts of experience working on these films. So he's worked on. Uh, he did. He was a stunt man in The Matrix. He's done a lot of co-directing in a lot of action movies. Like he worked on the Hunger Games trilogy, which is interesting because I feel like his past works have all been these alternate universes where amazing things can happen and people can do incredible shit um, and they can get blown up or, or kicked 50 billion times and it doesn't matter, right? But in this film, which is the first film that I've seen him work on, which takes place almost entirely in the real world, yeah. or a, a world very much like the real world, well, he... You still also have that idea of the world building and the, yeah. the idea of this other underworld and this other sort of assassin's unknown mysterious world that we'd never seen before yeah that's true but i felt like in these in in john wick one of the things that's really interesting about it is as action movies go all of these stunts are very nuanced and they're very human like a lot of the time uh, one of the things i found really enjoyable to watch about the film is that kind of it's sort of very believable seeing john just kill people but also get really hurt yeah and like be he would get like punched in a wound and he would, like, double over in agony and, like, have to take a moment to recover. I saw and... a video that said that Keanu trained nine to five, five days a week, oh, yeah. full-time for four months. Yeah. For this. Yeah. And he did... Uh, uh, he didn't use a stunt double for 90% of his stunts. He did, nine, apparently, 90% of them. He was actually the, the body that was involved. Which, when you're talking about shit, like, dropping off a first-story railing straight onto the fucking ground which probably actually didn't happen but looks very realistic um yeah i think that's that's it's really interesting to see someone who has has been so involved in these stunts where it kind of you can still buy it if it's totally unrealistic to go into a a directing role where it kind of has to be believable a bit um and one of the things that's so interesting about john wick is it's so efficient it's quick it's it's clean but you get these moments mostly when he's kind of grappling with someone where it's very realistic and it's meaty and it's brutal and yeah it's not like he's not beating up the beating he's not beating off hundreds of dudes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he's he's not fighting off like thousands of people like he is in the matrix thousands of people yeah fighting fighting off he's not fighting off billions of people (laughs) well there's the Smith scene where he's fighting like literally a hundred of them. Yeah, like a um, trillion of them. Yeah. Shut up. 
No, I just I think it's interesting that he's gone from that surreality as a stunt man to the attempted reality as a director, and I think it really comes through in the way that he's constructed all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think it's interesting. Also, Alfie Allen has been typecast as the ultimate weasel cunt. (laughs) Game of Thrones. In this, he's a dog murderer. He's a fucking betrayer. What did Alfie Allen do? And why is he so good at just being this, like, fucking hateable character? Yeah, I don't know. He's been typecast. But he's pretty good. good But you sort of feel sorry for him. Again, the whole time, you're like, oh, man. Not me. I didn't feel sorry for him at all. Fuck that guy. He killed a dog. String him up. Murder him with his own intestines. Him and his 400 bodyguards. Yeah, that's right. String them all up. No, he was... So, Alfie Allen... Actually, I didn't realize this. I assumed when I watched this film, Alfie Allen had some sort of, like, uh, Russian heritage. He doesn't. He was born in fucking Hammersmith in London. And he's from Hammersmith in London. So is his family, I think. But where where did he grow up, though? Ukraine. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, he didn't. He grew up in Hammersmith. In London? (laughs) Um, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this was one of those, did they film anything in London and they had like had to use British actors or what? Cause it's weird. Like, could they not find a Russian dude? They used a Swede no, no, I saw, and a British guy. I saw the making of it for this. They, they looked for apparently years. Well, I don't years. want to hear about that shit. No, no. They spent years looking for any Russian dude and they just couldn't find any. <laughs> and the only one they heard they was couldn't. Vladimir Putin and he was busy working on the interview. So <laughs> they were like, hello, hello. <laughs> and they just couldn't find anyone. Man. Like, so they were I'm like, busy murdering oh, we'll British get, diplomats. We'll get fucking Willem Dafoe and Alfie Allen. And <laughs> they can be our Russians. Yeah. So on the whole, yeah, two really great films. Favorite kill in the whole film was, um, right at the very end when he runs the guy over and he rolls over the bonnet and then he shoots him through the, the roof of the car. Oh yeah. Like, Four, oh! like four times it's just like and he like you can see him like waiting to time the shots yes. when he and hears the guy <laughs> bumping over the oh, it's so good. and there's so much methodical shit like where yeah. he'll sort of do a body shot to knock a guy down where he has his hand on that guy's face while he kills the people that are there and then he kills that I guy I seem to recall that a lot of SAS training procedures factored into the stunts that they used on this film like they consulted a lot of like actually sort of <laughs> mate we're not going to get sued by the SAS you know? it's <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just like, yeah, clinical military style killings. And it, yeah, again, it really comes through because John's not firing 20 billion bullets. He's using a handgun and it has like seven shots or whatever. And he just or like... somewhere between. Seven... Actually, I counted at one point when he was shooting and I was like, he's fired 19 shots without reloading. 19 shots. That's a fucking, there's no pistol in the world. Don't, don't. Right no, the show we're definitely wrong. No, dude, you get the fucking. I know nothing about guns. No, I just see me. pictures of them. Extended, <laughs> extended mags. No, it's just, just any. No, we're not googling. A Glock might have twenty shots. Okay, I might be wrong, <laughs> we but know nothing about but he's guns. not using a Glock. I know that much. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, and I was like, he's not reloaded in a very long time, and I like this movie so much. I told myself, no, no, they've just. You have to imagine that he's reloaded walking up the stairs. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> I was like, because I didn't think fucking, fucking nerds like you yeah, that exactly. are like, oh my god, they cut the shot Actually, where he reloads. When I was going to research this film, I like, I, I, I was on my phone and I like scrolled past the goof section and there was a goof that's like, Keanu Reeves' hand swaps between his left and his right side of his chin. And I was like, I'm not fucking <laughs> reading that. 
Yeah. And I thought, who has time to do that? And then I did think, <laughs> well, I counted the number of shots that he fired and I had an issue with it. So maybe that's fine. All right. So we've got a, a, just a little bit of news based on what we talked about last week. This is taken from a Reddit thread. So it's absolutely wrong. However, um, it was the R movies thread for the box office, box office opening weeks. Um, and apparently Solo had a pretty unsuccessful opening, oh. which I think is pretty interesting. Um, because I would have said that, at, like, at the very least, based on the reputation that it has, it no, would have man, kind of it, drawn more it than It came that. out, like, months after Episode 7. Oh, yeah. Episode 8. Well, whatever the most previous... Most previous. Whatever the, the most recent major episode we had was, it came out very recently, and I think they weren't even marketing the Solo film until, like, the last sort of month or two before mm. this film came out. I don't... No, it doesn't surprise me at all. Right. Lack of marketing combined with the fact that they totally fucked it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like, I was wondering, maybe, is it, are people just a little, like, tired about Star Wars films? Like... The previous Star Wars film came out less than six months ago. Yeah. And it's not very good. And you're like, but what, what happened? What happened? They didn't market no, I mean, it. I'm and not, it's not very good. Because, like, I didn't absolutely <laughs> love that film. I didn't like it, but I thought it wasn't. Bad. Yeah, right. Well, I guess and that's so like, pretty much perfectly reflected. Yeah, exactly. You're like, <laughs> so it performed mediocrely in the box office. I didn't really like it. What happened? Anyway, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. So apparently, Solo's been a real, a real turd. Yeah, vindicated. Our takedown piece of Solo yeah, has right. been the talk of the town for a week now, and here you are. See, we have the numbers to back ourselves. Yeah, up. that's right. So any of you that doubt it, now, what I really thought was interesting about that is that so okay, Solo exists as a part of the the Star Wars. Um, franchise and so I was wondering if this kind of trend I mean this is one film I know but maybe this this what we're seeing of like this kind of unpopularity of like franchise films is moving away from or is is showing that the the that the receiving audience of these kind of films wants to kind of move away from those franchises and is there maybe like a bit of a thirst for innovation I fucking hope so. Oh, I mean, no. Because, I... <laughs> like, what? Okay. I don't like, think so. I it's... think, honestly, it was just a poorly marketed film that wasn't very good. Right. Because you have Rogue Rogue One and Episode 7 and Episode 8 that have all, I imagine, been reasonably successful. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I just think. Episode that... 7 was fucking huge. Yeah. And also, this film went through all that shit with, like, the different directors. Like three they directors, out, yeah. And, like, the but actor that, that apparently was so bad. People don't give a fuck about that. I, I oh no! People I, give way more of a fuck about the fact that it says Star Wars above Solo than they do about this, whether or not. No, I, three I think directors. this shows that Star Wars doesn't just get you a free pass to the top of the box. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, think that's great. Yeah, because I was I was thinking about it. Like, uh, obviously, we're talking mostly about films, but we both play games as well. And something that um, I, I think is interesting is if you look at the gaming industry recently, there's been a huge kind of like souring of. Um, things like the Call of Duty games where they release a new one every year. It's exactly the fucking same experience. Only people who are employed by the military buy it. <laughs> and um, what we've seen is these really high quality narrative oriented experiences like God of War or like Horizon Zero Dawn come out recently that really focus on giving you that high quality storytelling experience. Yeah. So I'm yeah, I'm wondering if maybe that's a it's a bit of a sign that we're sort of seeing the same shit in the well, movie industry. I think it, I think it might probably be, not. Might, it's well, we're going to die <laughs> and it's going to be Avengers 28. Well, I think it might be more of a case of I mean, for example, 
the appeal behind making another movie in a franchise is perhaps that it's a bit of a lazier way of making a film that will be successful. Oh yeah, they've done marketing for them. Yeah, and it yeah. literally is just like, well, why would we make a new movie and put all that effort in when we could just make another Avengers yeah. movie or make another Star Wars movie and it'll make all that money anyway? And so I think that with that mentality comes this lazy idea that means that they're less likely to be of high quality maybe yeah because if you no, really care so. about yeah. making a great new it's movie not be a Star Wars you'd movie. make a new movie you yeah. wouldn't just like you know make fucking thor five and i no, think I it think might so. be more of a challenge as well to make a new movie and so i guess my point is kind of like at what point because it has to tip right people have got to get tired of this shit i'm excited for the point where it tips and people say right i'm not fucking paying to see another star wars film fuck that well no because they can I'm be good to see another marvel film the, well the that's star fine, wars but, films can be good for as long as they walk but the characters become tired and no, people that, become tired of watching them well, on the no, screen i think it's supernatural that ran for like <laughs> 57 seasons and then it fucking it's gonna die because well, people are like I don't want to watch Sam and well, Dean fuck each other. Well, <laughs> well no, I, I see. I, I think the difference is: Are you making a Star Wars movie because you want to quickly and easily make a hit, or almost always do you yes. have something? Yeah, or do you have something interesting and something new to do in that universe? Right. And if you have this pre-established universe, for example, we were talking about an Infinity War last week. Infinity War, if you hadn't seen any of the other Marvel movies, would make no sense. And so mm. it has this sort of shorthand and this sort of all these rules and this sort of universe that the audience understands before they go in. Right. That you can then use to more efficiently tell all these new exciting stories. And so similarly with Star Wars, no, you don't have to explain what the Force is and what lightsabers are and what yeah, droids yeah, yeah. are every time. Yeah. And so there's this shorthand. So very little of that. Well, right. Well, there's this there's this sort of storytelling shorthand that you get that means it's easier to tell whatever new story you want because you have this world yeah. that everyone That's already very understands. That's very true. So I think you can have Star Wars movies for as long as people are doing new and exciting shit with it. But as soon as you get something lazy like Solo, it performs badly. And I think that's what that's what's good to see. Right. I guess I'm just hoping for, you know, new shit. And I'm always excited when that, that is successful. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I hope that that is a bit of a sign to studios that fucking do something fucking else. Okay? Yeah. Not another Marvel film. Not another Star Wars film. Fuck you, Disney. Fuck you, Walt Disney. Invent something, for fuck's sake. That's what we wanted to say. Fuck you, Walt That's Disney. That's the new segment. We're done. Um, Welcome to Fuck You, Walt Disney, episode three. <laughs> That's a way better name. <laughs> no, no, oh. no. We've already, oh, committed, to, we're already committed to beat <laughs> That's right. Well, I think that, uh, that just about ties it up. I think we might so, have to wrap it up. Thanks for uh, tuning in once again. To another episode of Beef Station. In episode three of, uh, of Beef Station. We've got so. some exciting stuff coming up. We've got The Incredibles 2 coming up. We've got yeah, actually. Um, yeah. Ocean's 8. I thought it might be cool to talk about Ocean's 8 and compare it yeah, maybe with Ocean's 11. That's, that's definitely our next one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Yeah. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. We'll see you later. Show up, please, and me, please.